It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Before we begin, a warning. This episode contains swearing and descriptions of torture. The one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine came and went But one mystery endured, a mystery that goes right back to the first day of the war that Sunday Times foreign correspondent Louise Callahan has been trying to get to the bottom of. When the Russian full-scale of invasion began on February the 24th, Russian forces were pouring over Ukraine's borders from all sorts of different directions. They were also launching a naval attack. And as part of that, they took this place called Snake Island which is this completely miserable, windswept, rocky outcrop in the Black Sea, 22 miles off the coast of Ukraine. But that tiny island got this kind of instant global infamy because during the night of the invasion, when the Russian forces came to take the island, they'd radioed from a Russian ship to the command centre on the island where the Ukrainian border guards were. And they said, Surrender immediately. The Russian warship is here. And the Ukrainian border guards are replying, saying, Russian warship, go fuck yourself. And that (laughs) reply became this kind of legendary rallying resistance against this huge force. And it became this David and Goliath tale, which kind of symbolized plucky Ukrainian ingenuity and cohesion in the face of this Russian invasion. The next morning, the news had been published everywhere. The bravery of those border guards was known across the world, but they also said that these border guards had been killed. The report said the Russians opened fire and killed all 13 border guards, all for telling the warship to go fuck itself. President Zelensky said on Snake Island, defending it to the last, all the border guards died heroically. They did not give up. He said all of them would be posthumously awarded the title of Hero of Ukraine. And what a rousing, motivating war myth that became for Ukrainians. But a year on, the story is a hive of half-truths, mysteries and unanswered questions. Only a few dozen people really know what happened. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, what really happened on Snake Island? The 
real story of what happened on Snake Island is I still, I think, still not really clear. I feel like through my investigation, me and my colleagues scratched the surface of it. We found out things that weren't known before, but I still think that the true story is still to come out. The story of this island has come to represent so much more than the simple act of the Russians taking this small island. So when I wanted to look into it, so many people don't want to talk about it. But then happily I found out that there had been some other people on Snake Island who weren't part of the armed forces. And that's this really, really unlikely motley crew of three priests and a paediatrician. And one of them who was particularly helpful in illuminating some of this is Father Vassal. He was one of these priests. What was he like? What did you make of him when you met him? We went to see him in his church that he runs in Odessa. And we just sort of turned up at one of his sermons and asked if he'd talk to us. He's 52 years old and he's this kind of larger-than-life character. He's got a big belly and he laughs a lot and he's really kind of jocular. Verazub Vasil Dimianovich, настоятель Svetotrovitskoho hramu, metroforni portuirei, pravoslavnej cerkvi Ukraine. Samy krutiy bachushko vodnes. So ask, said that he's the fullest priest in Odessa, Ukraine, ya pskazala, da. You can tell, you don't need to tell us that, we can see. But all of that disguises the fact that he really has been through hell. He's seen things that would break most people. But he still has this kind of incredible... Lust for life, I suppose, and a real, a real mm. sense of wanting to protect the people who come to his church and also to protect the border guards. So you met Father Vassal at his church. Did he explain to you why he ended up on this island after it was taken by the Russians? So the morning after the invasion began, one of Father Vassil's military contacts got in touch with him. In the morning of 25th of February, at approximately 5 in the morning, he received this call from uh, commandment uh, saying that uh, someone has to go and pick bodies of uh, 13 uh, people on the Snake Island. Throughout this episode, you'll hear from Louise's conversation with Father Vassal and with the paediatrician via her translator. Now, it's worth saying that he's not just a your kind of ordinary priest. He's also worked with the Ukrainian army, preaching to soldiers on the front line. So he has a level of military experience. And also he, amazingly, used to be a soldier in the Soviet Union. So he has, you know, some understanding of military situations, some contacts in the military. Anyway, someone gets in touch with him and says, look, we need you to do something. It's really, really dangerous. And he says, yeah, no problem. I've got this. And he's asked, along with two other priests and a paediatrician, who works in a local hospital, to go and pick up the bodies of the Ukrainian soldiers who allegedly were killed on Snake Island. So at this point, everyone mm. thinks they've been murdered by the Russians after telling them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. Father Vassil says, yeah, he's been preparing his flock in Odessa for the Russians to launch a huge assault on the city, which is on the sea. And so he's got people emptying out bottles of sacramental wine to make Molotov cocktails from. <laughs> 
they uh, took wine out of these uh, glass bottles mm-hmm. like to special reservoirs to mm-hmm. keep it and all the bottles were sent to Kanatna to make cocktail of Molotov. Oh. So did you empty them out? And he actually saved all this wine because he thought it would be a waste to throw it away and they're still drinking it today. But he's pulled away from that task in order to go and pick up the bodies of these sailors. So him, the other two priests and the pediatrician, they get on a ship and they spend a couple of days getting to Snake Island because of the fighting, because of the war, there's various delays. Some Russian soldiers come on board and Father Vasil amazingly starts kind of trying to debate with them. You know, they're saying, oh, well, Ukraine was such a big threat to Russia, so we had to do something. You know, we're just striking back after the threats from Ukraine and Odessa's going to be Russian in just a couple of days. You know, just hang out here for a few days and then you can go back to Russia. We're going to take care of you. And Father Vasil's arguing with them, saying, well, that's not right. Are you mad? You know, Ukraine's this tiny country. How can it be threatening Russia? No, thanks. We don't want to be rescued. Bugger off. When they get to Snake Island, it's clear that all is not quite as it seems. They've been told that the whole island's been destroyed Mm. by bombing. That's clearly not true. Yes, it's been bombed, but there's still buildings standing. And they're not receiving these bodies after all. It's still really unclear why it was that the Ukrainians sent them to go pick up the bodies. Did they actually believe they'd been killed? Was there some kind of propaganda reason to it? Was it miscommunication? It's all really unclear. But what a terrifying situation for them all to be in. Days into the full-scale invasion, they've heard this story everywhere about the Russians coming and killing a load of their fellow Ukrainians on this island. They're sent out to collect bodies. And when they get to this island, these priests and, and this doctor, it's all eerily not quite as it seems. The thing is that none of these people have any idea what's happening in Ukraine during all this time. They also don't know whether Russia is winning or not, which is just a terrifying situation. You don't know whether you're ever going to be able to go home again or, you know, what's happened to your home? Which country do you live in? And then after a few days, they they are told that they will in fact not be going back and they're taken into captivity. So they're taken to Sevastopol in Crimea uh, on a boat and there they meet the other Snake Island captives. That's right, they survived. The border guards and Navy officers manning Snake Island on that day, the day of the invasion itself, weren't killed. They all survived and were taken prisoner. And the reason why so many people don't want to talk about it is because there's still these Ukrainian soldiers in captivity in Russia. I think probably about half of the soldiers who were taken captive last year are still in captivity. So for that reason there is a real reluctance among those who've been released to talk about it because they want to keep their comrades safe. So now the priests and the paediatrician, they've been on this incredible journey from Odessa to Snake Island, where they believe they're about to find a load of bodies which they need to take back, only to find that there's no one there. It's not as bombed out as, as they've been led to believe. The Russians take them hostage and take them to Crimea to get a closer sense of what actually happened someone else takes on that part of the story so when i was interviewing father vasil then this border guard who we're calling ivan it's not his real name he 
turned up. He just happened to be going to see the priest. And so that was that was really lucky for us because we got to have an insight Gosh. directly from a border guard into actually what happened, which is extraordinarily rare. And he spoke to us without giving too many details because he wanted to protect his comrades who were still in captivity, but we still got a really good sense of what actually happened. So when the Russians started approaching the island, first off, they sort of attacked it quite heavily, not in as dramatic a fashion as people had first believed. I think people at first thought that the island had been sort of entirely carpet bombed and destroyed, but they were shelling and there were airstrikes. The border guards, they were hiding out and then they were in contact with all of their superiors on the mainland. Eventually the Russians radio through and Ivan was actually standing in the room when this message came through, asking them to go and surrender. And then the famous retort. And I said, what was your reaction? And he said, well, mm. I thought we were all going to die. That's the only thing that seemed possible. They could see these huge warships going past, including the Moskva, which at the point was the pride of the Russian Navy, this huge warship. Russian soldiers stepped onto the island and they got all the Ukrainian soldiers there to go down to the docks and to lie down with their hands behind their heads. And then, amazingly, the Russians seemed to have tried to convince the Ukrainians to come over to their side. And no one took them up on their offer, unsurprisingly. But then they sort of didn't really know what to do with them. They were talking for a while, you know, are we going to kill them? Are we not going to kill them? They seemed to have decided against it. And then instead they took them captive. I can't imagine what a terrifying ordeal this was for the Ukrainian soldiers, but Ivan is a very sort of serious guy and told us this in this incredibly calm, mm. straightforward way. They're taken to Sevastopol in Crimea. Then they try to interrogate them, but they also film a propaganda video of these Ukrainian border guards getting off the bus at Sevastopol. They broadcast that on the yeah. Russian state media. I think at that point, it becomes very clear that these guys actually survived and that this isn't a story of Russia massacring all these incredibly brave people. This is going to be a long effort to try and get them back to Ukraine. Coming up, what is it like in a Russian war prison after you've told them to go and fuck themselves? We'll hear about the awful torture and strange interrogations that they went through after a message from a colleague. I'm Roger Boys. I'm the diplomatic editor and foreign policy columnist of The Times. I must say it's a fascinating time, a time of war. I have some experience in Eastern Europe, so my heart is really with the Ukraine-Russia conflict, and I'm able to follow in my columns the th results, the global famine, the global energy crisis, all these things that are affecting each of our lives, all from this one small bloody field in Eastern Europe. I can only do this, we can only do this, thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. So subscribe today, please, by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Louise, take us inside this prison or whatever it is, where they're all kept captive, not just the people who were stationed on Snake Island when the Russians uh, attacked it and took it, but also now the priests and the paediatrician who were sent to come and recover their bodies, thinking that they'd all been killed on the island. They're all hostages now. And what kind of conditions were they in? What was happening to them? So they get taken around to several different places in Crimea and also in Russia. They go through several different prisons and also a a prison camp, which is right near the border with Ukraine on the Russian side. And the conditions were absolutely appalling, I think, and and particularly for the priest. First of all, it was freezing cold. You know, it was right in the winter. They were staying in these cells, which, you know, had open windows, some of them, and cold cement floors, no blankets, anything like that. So they were genuinely worried that they would freeze to death. And it was uh, super cold there. He spent there three uh, days. Um, Russians made him take off uh, all the clothes, so he was naked, and he wasn't uh, couldn't sleep for three days because he was just standing in one place. That was one problem. The other was the food. So they were given extraordinarily little food. I've, I've seen pictures of Father Vasil after his imprisonment, and he's completely unrecognizable. Well, just from the weight that he lost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they lost huge amounts of weight, all of them. They were basically on a starvation diet, kept barely alive. And what were the Russians saying to them? Well, that was, I think, one of the hardest things for the prisoners to understand and something that they all brought up was that the Russians were genuinely, genuinely believed the propaganda, that they were really, really brainwashed and it was just impossible to talk to them. I think with the priests... They found it like particularly difficult because the Russians just didn't believe that Father Vassil, for example, was a priest. Uh, asking, uh, whom are you working for? Which department of intelligence? He was laughing, saying, like, I'm not intelligence. Like, our intelligence group are working for us because we are Ukrainians. They thought he was some kind of deep cover suicide operative who's been sent to blow up Snake Island. And him and the doctor were like, well, what are you talking about? That doesn't even make sense. If they were going to do that, why would they pick this, you know, overweight priest in his 50s and a paediatrician to go and do this? It's so strange. And then they wouldn't believe at all, like, that their mission existed. Mm. But they also genuinely thought that they believed all the things in Russian propaganda about how the Ukrainians are all Nazis, how they're not allowed to speak Russian in Ukraine, which is completely untrue. Almost everyone's completely bilingual. I think at first the the doctor and the priest, they kind of tried to 
explain that what the Russians believed wasn't true, but they were just so far gone that they didn't want to understand any of it. So I think that was genuinely terrifying for them. You know, their interrogators would just refuse to believe that they said who they thought they were. They were mm. saying they were spies, and obviously, if the, you're a suspected Ukrainian spy in a Russian prison, your chances of survival are low. So I think they were very, very afraid about that. And then Father Vasil, in particular, was tortured just truly on a on a horrifying scale. It's incredible that he survived. Russians interrogated him. Mm-hmm. So two were pulling his uh, mm-hmm. arms and legs mm-hmm. and at the very same time uh, beating him on kidneys and mm-hmm. beating him with electricity. He was beaten, electrocuted. He had pins pushed under his fingernails. He was kept naked without food or water for days inside a cell, a completely empty cell, which was freezing cold. And uh, still uh, continue asking that you didn't tell us something. Every day they would just drag him out for more and more interrogations. They would beat him more. And I think the measure of it was just so appalling that at one point he said, you know, he was so ashamed to admit it to me, but he said, well, I wanted to end my life. At some point uh, he was hallucinating in this room because like, it was like merged between activity and sleeping because he couldn't sleep for all this time. And he really felt that he wanted to die. And I think for a priest, with the beliefs that he holds, that's obviously a huge, huge thing to say. And they're not only suffering physically what's happening to them in captivity, but if they're there for, what was it, days, weeks even, they have no idea about what's happening back in Ukraine and the war effort and the way that the Ukrainian army is holding off. I mean, in their cell, they might be thinking, I mean, were they even being told that, well, it's all over now? They had very little idea about what was happening, but what they did hear turned out not to be true. So they could hear sort of snippets of Russian state radio sometimes where they said, oh, Zelensky's surrendered or you know, they're in the middle of peace talks at the moment to try and hand over Ukraine to Russia, that kind of thing. They had no idea. Like, did had Odessa been taken? Who was winning the war? They, they didn't know. So all of that, yeah. I was in Kiev at the beginning of the war and there was definitely a few days where it was very unclear which way it was going to go. But then it very quickly became clear that Zelensky was going to stay and that Ukraine was putting up one hell of a fight and that they were pushing the Russians back. They were stopping them in their tracks. But they missed all of that. They just had that kind of chaos at the beginning where the Russians were pouring over the borders and they didn't know whether they were going to be able to stop them. That, I think, mental anguish of not knowing and not knowing about their families or whether they'd been targeted or just which way the war was going, but they have a country to go back to. That, I think, made their ordeal so much worse than it already was. And how did their ordeal end? How did they get out of that? And what, I guess, meant that they were released and and ended up back in Odessa where where you could talk to and interview them and not be stuck there like some of them still are? After more than a month in captivity, the doctor and two of the priests were released completely without any explanation. They were basically given back to Ukraine in a prisoner swap. Since the beginning of the war, there has actually been quite a sophisticated, well-functioning system of prisoner swaps going on between Ukraine and Russia. So they were taken to a border crossing point and then they went into Ukrainian territory while on the other side they could see Russian soldiers coming into Russian-held territory. Father Vasil, the priest, 
was released after that. He was held longer. I remember the doctor told me that as he was crossing over the border, he still had absolutely no idea what had happened to his home. He didn't know which country Odessa was in or who the forces were that were controlling Odessa. He didn't know how they would be received by the Ukrainians because the Russians had constantly told them that, oh, if you go back, you'll be seen as a traitor or you know, you're going to be arrested when you go back mm. because they'll think that you've been turned in Russian captivity. But the doctor told me that he was going down the road in Ukraine, driving along in this bus, and he saw this billboard where it said the famous catchphrase, Russian warship, go fuck yourself. It was a big deal for Ukraine, uh, firstly because like part of propaganda and uh, anti-Russian propaganda as well, because mm. Russians were thinking that they are so mighty, mm. and it appeared that they're not. I think that was the point where he started realizing the huge kind of importance and symbolism that this episode had and the, and the role that he'd played in it. And was it right that Russian warship Go Fuck Yourself ended up in like pop songs and things as well? I think one pop song, yeah, it was the chorus of one that's on the face of stamps, which were sold out everywhere. And it's on billboards all across Ukraine. When you're driving around, you see it everywhere. It usually has a picture of a warship sinking, sometimes in the shape of the Kremlin, and then it's written on top, Russian warship, go fuck yourself. So it's this kind of real rallying cry. It's something that everyone in Ukraine knows. It was something to really latch on to. And the island now, of course, back in Ukrainian hands. It spent a few months in Russian hands before the Ukrainians took it back. It was quite controversial, actually, because the Ukrainians expended a huge amount of weaponry in order to retake it. And there was quite a lot of moaning from various quarters about shelling a completely uninhabited island that we don't really need. Yeah. The Ukrainian government and the armed forces argument is that it's very strategically located. But I think almost more importantly, it it was such a huge propaganda victory to be able to retake Snake Island. And I think they must have made that judgment that the cost of the weaponry Mm. was worth it. How's Father Vasil now? Is is he recovered? I mean, you went into such horrible detail about what happened to him physically and, and mentally. How is he? Well, he's back at work and he's put on a lot of the pounds that he lost in Russian captivity. And he's still drinking that altar wine that they decanted when they were (laughs) going to be turning all the bottles into Molotov cocktails. But I think he is consumed with worry about the fate of the prisoners, but also about what this war is doing to the Ukrainian psyche. He spoke a lot about how he, it's so easy to become consumed by hatred for the enemy, but that he doesn't want to become like the Russians, the way that he sees it. He thinks Mm. that they're sort of brainwashed and furious. And as much as he despises the people who did these things to him in captivity, he also fears that Ukraine might lose its it's humanity or it's empathy as part mm. of this war. So he really worries about that. And that's something he talks about a lot in his church. He holds these church services in this building that he has. And it's very, very simple. I mean, it's all blinged up in the Ukrainian Orthodox style inside, but it's a very simple building. It's a simple church. But the message that he is trying to teach there is about forgiveness and about empathy, as well as Ukrainian patriotism. Louise, you've reported from so many different conflicts around the world. 
What do you make of the role that all of this played, as you say, in stirring Ukrainians around the war effort? This kind of myth. Have you seen anything like it elsewhere? Of course, yeah. Every war has its myths. Every war has its heroes. And in Ukraine, there are more as well. There's, there was the ghost of Kiev, if you remember, mm. another sort of semi-legendary figure who was this ace fighter pilot who'd shot down so many Russian planes. And, you know, and that's still incredibly murky, the story of whether that's true or not. Think of all wars. They all have these moments. They all have these people. Dunkirk, even, you know, the, the idea of the, yeah. the Dunkirk spirit. Dunkirk was a huge loss. It was a rout. It was a defeat. But what people remember, I think, is the small boats coming over to rescue people from the beaches there. And that David and Goliath moment, that spirit facing down a much greater enemy has a huge amount of emotional resonance. And I think for the Ukrainians, Snake Island gives exactly that. You've been able to shed so much light about what actually happened. We are now more than a year on from that incredible story in the midst of the full-scale invasion. One mystery remains, though. Who said down the radio to the Russian warship, go fuck yourself? Do we still not know? So it's a huge and enduring mystery that I'm not sure that anyone has quite cracked yet, including me. What I do know is that there was a video that was put out last year. This very handsome young soldier receiving a reward from the Ukrainian armed forces. And it was put about that he was the guy who'd said it. Hmm. But afterwards, the Ukrainian border forces put out a statement saying, no, it's not him. Now, the impression that I get from speaking to lots of different people who are very involved in this is that the guy who received the award is not the guy who said it. And that the video showing him receiving it was part of some kind of attempt, some sort of disinformation or information campaign to get the target off the back of the guy that actually said it. So he apparently, and this is what Father Vasil and one other source told me, is that the guy who said it was in captivity and that he has since been released. There is some debate, but Father Vasil and another source with very close knowledge of it said that he had been released and that he's living in, in a Ukrainian city and that he doesn't want to be identified. Both because he doesn't want a target on his back, yeah. but Father Vassal claims. He said, I don't want, like, besides all these facts on security and stuff like that, he said that I don't want my mother to hear that I'm swearing. <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't want his mum to know he'd been swearing. <laughs> Gosh. So somewhere he's potentially out there free to go and tell another Russian warship to go and fuck itself. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably what he's planning right now. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Luke Jones, and my guest, foreign correspondent for The Sunday Times, Louise Callahan. If you're a subscriber of The Times, you can read more of Louise's reporting from the war in Ukraine or even about the Pope's recent visit to the Democratic Republic of Congo at thetimes.co.uk. The producer today was Ed Drummond. The executive producers were Kate Ford and James Shield. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, leave us a review. It helps other people find us. Goodbye.